Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Luke 18. Luke 18, go down to verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screens. If you're watching online, we're going to put it up on your screen as well. Luke 18, beginning in verse 18. If you're there, can you say amen? Amen. Okay, the Bible says this. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, rich young ruler he became very sad for he was extremely rich Jesus seeing that he had become sad he said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God those who heard it said then who can be saved But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and we followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal Life. Come on, how good is that? Luke 18. What an interaction between Jesus and this young ruler, rich young ruler. Out of Luke 18, let's talk about this for the next maybe about 25 minutes. I think there's a lot to learn out of Luke chapter 18. Week number one, we talked about pride. Uh, week number two today, as we continue this series through the month of June, we're going to talk about possessions. Somebody say possessions. I've titled this message, The Power of Possessions. The Power of Possessions. I think possessions, they play a big role in our world today, in our society today, in our life today, and possibly in our hearts. And so let's talk about it for the next several minutes. We're going to see what God's Word says, and then we're going to worship Jesus one more time, go outside, get some snow cones, some popcorns, join a connect group for the summer cycle, and uh, have the best Sunday. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you for loving us, God. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But you've been so good to us, God. We pray that you would have your way in our life. Thank you for the amazing day that we've had already. Thank you for every service, every location, every person tuned in. Speak to us. Open up the eyes of our heart that we may see you better, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. And it is in the name of Jesus that all of God's people say, Come on, all of God's people say. Come on, 1 p.m., can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? (laughs) In the year 1859, in the year 1859, there was this boat, this vessel, this ship 
called the Royal Charter. The Royal Charter was carrying over 480 passengers, all of them extremely wealthy, who had traveled from Europe down to Australia because there was a gold rush in Australia. In 1859, they had gone down to Melbourne, Australia, and in the gold fields of Australia, they had gathered as much gold as possible, and it was time to go home. They loaded the Royal Charter boat. The boat was extremely packed with gold. They had gold all over the place. They said the bottom of the boat was filled with gold. In fact, some of the passengers had so much gold that they stuck it in their coats, in their jackets. Some of them even they began to sew gold into their jackets and, gold, and coats. So they literally had gold bars hanging from their clothes. A day before arriving back in Europe, a storm breaks out and the Royal Charter, it runs aground, it runs into rocks and it is completely destroyed under this storm. Out of the 480 passengers, many tried jumping, tried to swim to shore but because they were weighed down by the gold that they had sewn into their jackets and their coats, over 450 passengers died on the ocean floor, weighed down by the very same thing they went to go get. It was the tragedy of the Royal Charter. Thinking about this story, I started to think about the tragedy that happens in our world today. That much like this boat, much like this ship, much like this vessel, how many things are weighing us down today? The very same things we live to go get and accumulate are weighing us down, weighing down our soul, weighing down our mind, getting us anxious and stressed, and we're not becoming better. We're actually getting worse by the very same things we're trying to accumulate. I mean, they are drowning us. We are living anxious. We are searching and swimming only to end up on the ocean floor because we are weighed down by possessions. Somebody say possessions. In fact, I think the real problem is this. We are possessed by our possessions. The very same things that we want to accumulate and get and hold are possessing us. They are weighing us down. They get a hold and a grip of our heart. There's nothing wrong with possessions, but there's a problem when they get a hold of us. In fact, researching for this message, I started looking at some studies and I found some numbers about what possessions, money, and material things is doing to Americans. They say that American children, our children make up 3.1% of the world's population. 3.1% of the world's population is American children, our children. I say our children because I don't know if you know, I'm going to be a father now. <laughs> I don't need to add that, but I just felt like adding it. Uh, my queen is pregnant. Uh, our children make up 3.1% of the world's population. Okay, we only make up 3% of the world's population, yet American, Americans buy 40% of the toys all around the world. We consume more than we need. One of the businesses that has grown the most over the last several decades is the self-storage business. I feel like they're popping up in every corner. Today, that industry is a $24 billion industry. Listening to the radio the other day, we were hearing these DJs talk about some of them have stuff in self-storage that they don't even know they have anymore. 
We stuff stuff in there that we've forgotten about, stuff from 1973 that my great-grandma owned is somewhere in there, and we have so much stuff that we don't even remember. If we can't afford a self-storage, we'll pack it into our garage or our closet. We have become a country of hoarders. And instead of making us better, it's making us worse. One study said that homes with more products actually have a higher level of anxiety. You, you would think that a home that has more things, they'll be more at peace. No, they have higher levels of anxiety. Today, a study said that one out of every six Americans has anxiety. To relieve that anxiety, you know what we do? We go shopping. Anybody love shopping? Yeah, some of you don't want to admit it, but we love shopping. And it's real easy to shop nowadays because you could do it from your phone in a second. Amazon Prime, one click, you buy. <laughs> right? What they said is that to relieve anxiety, we go shopping. Americans go shopping. to Some stuff you don't even need. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like my wife doesn't need another pair of heels. But because I'm a good husband, that you don't let me finish. Because I'm a good husband, I let her buy another pair of heels. Right? Some of you don't need another pair of sneakers. Hello, guys too? We don't need another shirt. We don't need a pair of jeans. But we do it to relieve anxiety. It just feels good to shop. One study said every time you shop, it releases dopamine, a chemical in the brain. And the dopamine feels good. Some of you have so much dopamine going on because you are over-consuming. That study said that when you get home with the very products you just bought, you are more anxious because now you have more stuff that you don't need. We are over-consuming, yet we are drowning in the midst of all this stuff. Shopping, over-consumption, all these possessions, we are trying to get more than we need, and we are drowning in the middle. Now, are possessions good or bad? That's the question, whether they're not good or bad. In fact, most of them I would say are good. It's good to have money. Can I get an amen? Anybody want more money? There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you are like, I think, I'm, yeah, no, I'm good. I want more money. Like, nothing wrong with more money. In fact, there's everything good. Nothing wrong with having iPads, iPhones. That's all good. The problem is when those things have us. Right? There's nothing wrong with these products. Here's the thing. A good thing can become a God thing, and that's when it becomes a bad thing. When we make these things a God in our life, in other words, I'm not satisfied until I get the latest iPhone 27. I'm not satisfied until I get the latest house. And if my neighbor has a Beamer, I need the latest Beamer. And if they went on vacation, I need to go on a bigger vacation. And if they put up nice pictures on Instagram, I'm going to put better pictures on IG because I need to have more. And we are playing this game and we are searching for satisfaction and happiness all across products, places, or things. And we are dying in the process of it because we think that these things are going to bring us peace and hope. But they're not. We're not. We have mental health challenge in our country. We have anxiety in our country. We have more products than any other country in the world. We throw away more food than other countries consume in a day. Yet we are stressed out, strung out, can't sleep, depressed because it's killing us and drowning us because those are not the answer. The only one that can satisfy the soul is the God who made it. The God who made the heart. The God who made your body. The God who made your mind. He's the only one that can do it. And so we've made a God thing out of good things and they've turned into bad things. We've turned them into idols in our life. Today we got a whole lot of idols. Maybe today some of us were stressed because we don't have what we think we need to have. Come on, let's do an inventory of our heart today. Some of us were disappointed because we're after the pursuit of happiness. But the pursuit of happiness in America has turned into the plunder of humanity. 
We climb over each other. We stress out. We're anxious because we don't have what we think brings us peace. What do we do? I actually think that they become a distraction for the real thing that brings satisfaction. All these products, all these possessions, all this money, it's distracting us from the only thing that can really bring joy in our life. Today, I think what we need to do is to realize we got more than we ever deserved. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian author, thinker, and ended up giving his life for the gospel, he wrote and said this, in ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give. What a line. We, we receive way more than we give. And it is only with gratitude that one becomes rich. It's only with gratitude that one becomes rich. I heard one commentator says, the person that's really wealthy is the one that can buy, is the one that has what money can't buy. If you have what money can't buy, oh, you're wealthy. In fact, I put it this way today. You can be wealthy if you can live grateful. You want to live a wealthy life? You want to live a blessed life? Oh, come on. If you're grateful for all that God has given you, you will be wealthy in your mind, body, and soul. It's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's about the God that possesses me, and he's given me more than I deserve. If you're blessed in here, come on. Why don't you give God some praise? Come on. We're blessed. I'm grateful. I may not have all I want, but I have more than I need in him. He's been a good God. Okay, Luke chapter 18. Let's talk about Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is extremely interesting. What a conversation between Jesus Christ and this rich young ruler. Many believe he's some kind of magistrate or religious leader. He's young. He's accomplished. He's probably a very good-looking guy. We'll say like Peter, a young, good-looking guy, successful, accomplished. And many see him and they're like, wow, what a man of God. Like, he's awesome. And this young guy, he approaches Jesus and he wants to have a conversation with Jesus because although he has everything, he has nothing. Wow. Not saying that's Peter. I'm just saying like, <laughs> it's funny because we think some people in our world have everything, but they really have nothing and they're still searching. And so this young guy, he goes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 18 verses 18 and on, it's an interesting conversation. And it's a conversation that deserves attention and you should look into it and you should read it at home and you should really try to look into that, divide it and see what Jesus is doing because it's profound. First of all, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That word in the Greek, what he's asking is, what must I do to earn eternal life? In other words, he's probably bought his way into success and now he's trying to buy his way into eternal life. Jesus is about to basically tell him, you can't buy your way into heaven. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy your way into eternity. Ain't no money in the world that can buy you eternal life. But he starts with, with this phrase, good teacher, and he calls Jesus a good teacher. And he probably thinks it's a very good way to address Jesus because Jesus for sure is a good teacher. But Jesus is going to flip it on him because Jesus knows his heart. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, good? Good? <laughs> Why do you call me good? He says, if there's anybody that's good, it's only God. Jesus understood that what the young man was doing was not really calling Jesus good because he's good. What the young man was doing was trying to establish a standard for good. And he says, good teacher. And if Jesus is good, I'm good just like you because I'm pretty accomplished, I'm successful, and I'm religious. And Jesus is like, I'm not good and neither are you. 
there's anybody that's good, it's him. Today, our possessions, our products, our money deceive us into making us think we're good. Well, you know how much I give to compassion? You know how much I serve and help other organizations? I give every month to this organization. Like people that are philanthropists, they think that that means you're good. And Jesus is basically going to hold up his word and say, well, the word is like a mirror. It's going to show you your heart. And Jesus is like, okay, you want to play this game? And they go into a Q&A basically, back and forth. And Jesus is about to perform open heart surgery in Luke chapter 18. Like you got to look at this. Go home and break this apart because my prayer is that God would do this in our heart today. Jesus is like, you want to play this game? Okay. He's like, I'm good. I followed all the commandments. Oh, yeah, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Honor your father and your mother. And what does the rich young ruler say? I've done them all. No, all of them. I'm, I'm perfect. I've kept all the commandments. I go to church. I've been to growth track three times. Eating the pizza. I've joined Dream Team. I'll connect summer cycle. I'll do the summer, the spring, and the fall cycle. I've been a connect group the whole time. I'm awesome. And Jesus like, okay, let's take this a little bit further because I'm about to peel your heart apart layer by layer. And he says, okay, why don't you do one thing? You lack one thing. Go grab everything that you have. Go down to TD Bank, grab your checkings, your savings. Go grab all the money you have, all your Robin Hood stocks, everything that you own. Sell it, grab all that cash, and go give it to the poor. Give it all away. And then come and follow me. Jesus basically was testing him in the commandments one through three. He thought he had four through ten, but he was failing in one through three. Because he had another God before the real God. He literally peeled back his heart and says, I'm not sitting on the throne of your heart. Your money, your possessions, your things are sitting on the throne of your heart. When Jesus says this, what does the young ruler do? He gets very sad. Like he's bummed big time. Go sell everything and then come follow me. He's, he's down. He's depressed. He's like, I, I, he realizes he doesn't just have possessions. The possessions have him. He can't let go because they got a grip on his soul. His love for his things is greater than his love for God. He thought he really loved God. And this is America today. Come on, church. Can we be real? We, we've talked about this in every service. Like we say we love God. We profess that we love God. We come in here and we worship. Oh, praise the name. And we give offering. And we're good. But, but when he peels back our heart, who's sitting on the throne of our heart? Is it really God? Or is it our pride? Is it pleasure? Is it possessions? Is it people? Like today God is saying, let me, let me see your heart. Because if I'm really the God of your heart, I'll be sitting on the throne. And the rich young ruler had possessions on the throne of his heart. And so he walked away depressed, sad. He could not follow Jesus because he was following the false God of possessions. You cannot follow the God of power if you're following the false God of possessions. And he was following the things of this world. And some of us here today and all across America, we are following the God of possessions. We are not happy until somebody validates us that we have a nice outfit, that we have a nice car, that we go on nice vacations, that all these things. We are trying to impress people we don't even like with money we don't have. We get into debt. We go, we go and we stack up our credit card because we just got to like play the game, catch up with the Joneses. We got to have the latest car. My neighbor bought the latest car, so I need the latest 
latest car. My neighbor went and did this. My family members got this. And we are all trying to play catch up. And the whole time we are anxious, stressed out, strung out, can't sleep, no peace. Because we're following things that will never satisfy the soul. And we're following something that only results in more anxiety. Instead of letting the, the God of joy, peace, and hope rule in the throne of our hearts. What, what do all these things do? Like we think they're going to make us happy. Look what Jim Carrey says. He's an incredible actor, one of my favorite actors. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous, do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is like one of Hollywood's most accomplished actors, at one point getting over $20 million per film. And he says, go, go, go get the biggest checks you can imagine. Let a company pay you the, the most money you could ever make in your life. Look at your bank account. You could have more money than you can even imagine. You don't even know what to spend it on. You'll buy the houses, the cars, you'll travel the world, and it's still not the answer. Jim Carrey says a truth that the Bible said like centuries ago. King Solomon had everything. King Solomon, he was paid. He had it all. He didn't just have a mansion, he had a palace. His palace was so big, so nice that the Bible says when Queen Sheba came to see it, she fainted at its beauty. Walked in like, oh my God, oh my God, like just. <laughs> Imagine somebody fainting because they walk into your house like, this is your house, oh my God, like beautiful. <laughs> He brought all kinds of things from all different parts of the world. He can get whatever he wants. He had more horses. Women, he had more women than any man who's ever lived. Right? Relationships, we think that'll make us happy. Products, things. And yet Solomon realizes it doesn't satisfy the soul. What do we do? We got to realize possessions have power. And we're living to accomplish and to get and to accumulate all these things. And it's not necessarily bad, but if we make them a God, they can turn to bad things. What, what, do, what do possessions do? What do they do in our life? Let's talk about three things really quick that possessions do in our life. This is the power of possessions. Number one, possessions can replace what you trust. Well, I trusted God before to be my provider, but now I, I trust my money. I trust my salary. I trusted God to be my provider of peace, but now I trust my bank account to be my provider of peace. Are you understanding what I'm saying, church? Possessions will replace what you trust. Now God is no longer the source of peace or hope or joy. He's no longer your sustainer. He's no longer your provider. Now it's possessions. My money is what makes me happy. My money is what brings me joy. You've been replaced. God is replaced by possessions, by things. That's the power of possessions. They replace. Number two, they can also ruin what you do. Possessions ruin what you do. The rich young ruler, he goes up to Jesus and they go back into this conversation we just talked about. And like the last words Jesus says to him were, well, come follow me. And imagine he actually would have done it. Imagine he would have said, I'm going to go sell everything. Zacchaeus basically did the same thing. And Zacchaeus became one of the disciples of Jesus. The greater disciples. Jesus had over 70 disciples. 
And so imagine if this rich young ruler would have said, I'm giving up everything and I'm coming to follow. He would have been possibly the 13th disciple. Like we would have heard about all the disciples plus, remember the rich young ruler who gave it all up and followed Jesus. Wow. I mean, now we don't even get a name for who he is. We just know him as the rich young ruler. But imagine he would have followed Jesus and we would have gotten a name and he would have lived for purpose. Now, possessions, they ruined what he could have done. Like, I, I've seen this happen even in families. Possessions ruin what you could have built with your family. Because you chase possessions, money, material things over spouses, family, kids. Some of you have giftings and callings and an anointing, and you know God has called you. And you know he's, but you've allowed possessions to ruin that. And, and, and the Spirit of God is not making your choices. Possessions are making your choices because they have power. There's power in possessions. The power of possessions can replace, they can ruin. Third and finally, possessions can reveal what you love. Wow, they replace, they ruin, and they reveal. I love you, Lord. God, I, I, lo I, I love God. I love God until he peels back my heart. And if I can't let go of something, it's my God. Possessions are the great revealers of what you really love. What I really love, I'm going through my checkbook and I just go through my bank account. Sometimes I'm like, I really love Starbucks. I just got to make sure I don't love Starbucks more than I love building the kingdom of God. I love sneakers. I don't know anybody else. I love shoes. I love sneakers. But some of us are building Nike kingdom more than we are God's kingdom. That's just the bottom line. It's true. Like, who's my God? Whoa, it's easier to spend money on sneakers than it is to build God's kingdom. What's my God? Well, it's the great revealer. Some of us, we say we love our spouse, yet we don't spend time with them. We spend more time in our business and making money than we do with our kids. With our, me and Diana, we were youth pastors here for two and a half years. Before that, I was involved in youth ministry for almost 12 years. Been in youth ministry for a long, long time. And you know, talking to young people over and over throughout the years, a lot of them who had mom or dad kind of absent in their life, you know what they wanted? They didn't want another Game Boy or another Switch. They didn't want another PlayStation. You know what they wanted? They wanted mom and dad in their life. And there was these parents that would give them these like lavish gifts. Like here, I bought you a, yeah, but you're gone. Working two, three jobs or you're building this amazing company. What they want is you. They want mom and dad home. They want to spend time with mom and dad. They may not say it, but their heart is yearning for it. But because you're after possessions, you, you love that more than you love your children. We got to be careful because it can happen in all of our lives. Oh, possessions, they come to reveal. What do we do? What do we do to finish? Erica's been on the keys for like five minutes. She's wrapping it up like the Oscars music. The worship team is about to come up in a few moments, but, but let's finish with this. How do we break the power of possession? In fact, I'll, I'll put it this way. How do we get the power back? Don't allow possessions to have power over you. You get power over your possessions. In other words, they don't rule your life. You rule them. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. Just make sure they don't have you. Are you following me, church? Right? What do we do? How do we break the power over possession? And we all got to work at it. I'm not there. We're on our way there, all of us together. How do we break the power over this thing that is gripping the hearts of Americans, drowning us to the bottom of an ocean floor, or making us walk away like the rich young ruler? How do we break the power? Three things really quick. Number one, I think we got to live content. 
live content. Somebody say content. Content means be satisfied with what you already have. Be happy that you already have so much. Like, whoa, I got more than I deserve. I'm blessed. I heard years ago in this one country, if you had more than two pairs of shoes, you were considered a king. Some of us are kings to the 10th power. Queens to the 50th power, right? Oh, can we be content? I got more. I got more than I deserve, more than I can imagine. Like, this doesn't mean don't work hard. This doesn't mean go and get things. Like, no, yes, absolutely. You should work hard. You should go get more money. And yes, go after a higher salary. I'm not saying that's bad. Those are good things, but don't let a good thing become a God thing. Right? Like, then lazy people will love this man. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be content. I'll have nothing. I'm not going to go to work, and I'm just going to live in my basement for 52 years with mom and dad. Like, that's not what this message means. Go to work. The Bible says he who does not give or produce or earn for his own family is worse than a non-believer. Christians should be the hardest working people and we should take care of our family. Like you got to provide for your home. So I'm not saying that. Babe, I'm not working anymore. We got more than enough. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Go work hard. Go provide. But don't let that take the place of God. Look what Paul writing to Timothy. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Wow. You know what Paul was happy with? He had food and clothing. I wake up tomorrow, I got something to eat breakfast. I'm God, I'm content. I got clothes to put on my back more than a whole lot of people. I'm content. He says, those that want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Come on, some of us, you know, what, what are people doing for money today? People do all kinds of evils. People would do anything and everything for a little bit more. They'll backstab friends. They'll turn on family because there's a desire in their heart that can never be satisfied and they want more. Can we be content? I think what we need to start doing is counting our blessings. Come on, that we wake up every morning and instead of just wanting more, that we say, God, thank you. I got more than enough. Anybody thankful today? Come on, if you're thankful for what you already have. Come on, be thankful for your spouse. Be thankful for your kids. Be thankful for your house. Be thankful for your car. Be thankful for the shirt on your back. Be thankful that you can worship. Be thankful that you got a voice. Be thankful that you got a body. Anybody thankful for forgiveness? Anybody thankful for God's mercy and grace and compassion? He's been good to me. He's been kind to me. I got more than what I need. He's been a good, good God. Come on. I got more than what I need. I don't have everything I want, but I got more than I deserve. Number one, live content. Number two, be generous. Break the power of possessions by your generosity. Number one, I'm gonna be content. This thing's not gonna have power over me. It's not gonna drive me anxious or, or it's not gonna take my peace at night because I, I'm breaking the power of possessions. Number two, I'm being generous with everything that God has given me. If you can't share what God has given you, it's a God in your life. Right? Instead of living with a closed hand, live with an open hand. In fact, living with an open hand leaves opportunity for God to give you some more. 
but if you live with a closed hand or you'll, you'll hold on to all of your possessions and you might get more in your own strength but it will lead you to no satisfaction and it may ruin your life you'll gain and you'll do and you'll accomplish and you'll do all these things and that'll be great but, but there'll be a hole missing in your soul because only God can satisfy that so be generous live with an open hand say God I, I, I'm going to be a person of generosity I'm going to help those in, the, in fact anything that you've given me how I take the power back is that I use it for good I don't let this thing rule my life I, I rule it and I'm not defined by what I have but I use it to build God's kingdom and to help other people. You know, in our service, we have two, two minutes, two minutes and a half of offering every single Sunday. And, and, and you know, if you're ever hosting a service, you'll see where people get like really tight during the tithing moment. Like, oh, we, let's go back to worship. I really like worship, but don't talk to me about tithing. Many times we're very easy with giving God our heart, very bad with giving God our wallet. And I get it, like I, there's been abuse in churches, there's been people, pastors, leaders that have abused it and so we say I'm not giving because I'm giving it to a pastor. And I know, I grew up in church and I said all those things. I, t- I told my parents, when I started working, my mom's like, you better give your tithe. And I'm like, I think the pastor has more than enough. I'm not giving my tithe, I want to give all of it. My parents taught me a very important lesson when I was young, you don't give to a pastor, you give to God. And what pastors and leaders want to do with that is between them and God. But you honor God, he honors you. So I, I started practicing from the first job I got, from the first dollar that I made. My parents were like, you better tithe. <laughs> you know, every time we tithe, it, really, it breaks the power, it releases the power that possessions have over me. I don't, I don't trust my money. I trust God that he's got me and my money. I'd rather keep 90%, give God 10%, believe that he'll bless my 90, than me keep 100% and thinking I'm going to do the best with my 100 I give God my tithe, my first 10%. I give God my first and my best. Every single time me and Dad get paid, we get the first. And so we break the power of possession. Like, I don't, we're not letting this thing rule our life. And somehow he stretches the 90% and he blesses. Be generous. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 through 25. It says this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper whoever refreshes others will be refreshed it's just a beautiful spiritual principle that as you take care of those in need as you build God's kingdom as you're generous your life will be blessed live with an open hand number one we live content number two we're generous and number three stay blessed stay blessed how do we break the power of possessions by staying blessed in spite of possessions I'm going to repeat that and then I'm going to explain and the band's coming up but How do we break the power of possessions by staying blessed in spite of possessions? In other words, you're not blessed by what you have. You're blessed because of who has you. Like that's how I break the power of possessions. Some people only say they're blessed because of how their week went. Yeah, I got a salary increase this week, so I'm blessed. Awesome. The girl I wanted to date said yes, so I'm blessed, (laughs) right? My family, we got back together, so we're blessed. Like, your circumstances don't make you blessed. It's the God who has you that declared you blessed. Are you hearing me? Circumstances, they'll come and go, but God, he's called you blessed. 
And so I break the power of possessions because they don't rule me or define me. God does. Are you hearing me, church? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I wake up in the morning and I'm blessed regardless of my bank account. I'm blessed. I wake up in the morning and I declare I'm blessed. Not because of what I have, what I own, everything that I possess. I'm blessed because of the one that possesses me. The one who gave me freedom, forgiveness. The one who redeemed me. The one who adopted me. He predestined me. He chose me. He forgave me. He delivered me. He called me free. He called me his own. I'm blessed. What makes us blessed? What makes us blessed? Peter, in explaining to the early church how they were blessed, he said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Peter writes to the church and he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why are you blessed? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I'm blessed because of him who is on me. He rests in me. I got the spirit of glory, the spirit of God living inside of me. You have it inside of you. Every single one of us that we've decided to follow Jesus, the Bible says we've been filled with the Holy Spirit and He resides in our heart. You can wake up in the morning, you say, my bank account may not be filled, but my soul is filled, my life is filled, I got the Spirit of God in me, I'm blessed. Blessed. The word blessed in the Greek is the word makairos and it literally means to enlarge it or to lengthen something. Blessed means to enlarge it or to lengthen. Literally what it means is that God's long arm of grace has been extended on your life over more than what we deserve. In other words, I got more grace than I ever deserved. I got more mercy than I can ever do on my own. He's been good to me. That's why I'm blessed. I may not have as much as you. I may not have the latest clothes. I may not have all the cars. I may not have the biggest salary, but I'm blessed because he blessed me. Today, realize you're blessed. You're blessed. I'm telling you, there's, a, there's an epidemic happening. Americans are dying, drowning in anxiety because they're just trying to catch up with everybody else. Just wake up and realize you're blessed. I'll finish with this last story. There was a farmer in the Great Depression. Two years before the Great Depression, he had bought this big farm. And the farm, he was about to lose it. He lost all the crops. He lost his job. And the bank was coming to foreclose on the property and they were going to take his farm from him. And they gave him a week to come up with the money and there was no way he could come up with the money. He says, I'm, I'm losing this farm. Three days before he had to give up the farm, an oil company came and knocked on the door and they said, sir, do you mind if we search for some oil on your property and dig? And he says, well, I'm about to lose this thing in three days. Go ahead, dig. I don't care. I'm about to lose the property. The first day they started digging, they struck oil. They struck so much oil within those three days that he became a millionaire five times over. Now the question was, was he a millionaire before they struck oil or after they struck oil? And the answer is simple. He, he's been a millionaire. He just didn't know it until they went underneath the ground. Christians today, what we don't realize is that we're blessed. And you're not blessed because God does something in your life. It's because he already did something in your life. Oh, come on. If you forget and if possessions try to get a hold of you, look to the cross and say, I'm blessed. He paid my debt. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm accepted. I'm chosen in him. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm blessed in him. Come on. Why don't we stand up to our feet all across this place?
We're going to do something. We're going to lift up our hands all across this place. Why don't we pray for a moment? Why don't we pray for a moment? Come on. Maybe, maybe this past week or month you haven't taken the time out to pray. Have a moment where you just talk to God. We're leaving in just a minute or two. But come on, with hands raised up all over this place. Thank you, Father. Come on, let's take a moment. Some of us, we've been gripped by this idol, this God, the power of possessions. There's people in here, you've lost sleep. It's affected your relationships, perhaps your marriage. Your sleeping patterns all over the place because you've been anxious, worried over possessions, over money, over things. In fact, you've been stressing out so much over what you don't have that you've overlooked what you already do have. Today, God, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you break the power of possessions over our life and that we realize we're not defined by these things, but we're defined by you. And you have us. You gave us an identity in Christ chosen us you've adopted us redeemed us forgave us predestined us you've called us righteous you've called us blessed your word says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms I'm blessed beyond what this world could understand you're blessed you're blessed some of you you're, you're about to get your peace back in Jesus name some of you you're about to get hope back in the name of Jesus some of you, you haven't had joy in a long time because I know work has been stressing you out and bills have been stressing you out and I know that's real. But today I'm praying in the name of Jesus that joy comes back into your life and you realize you got a sustainer, you got a provider. You do what you can and you trust God with what only He can. Hallelujah. I pray that joy comes back. I pray that peace comes back. God, we break the power of possessions over our life today in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's start with living content lives, grateful lives. I can be wealthy if I can live grateful. I'm wealthy in joy. I'm wealthy in peace. I'm wealthy in hope because I'm grateful for all that he's given me. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Why don't you begin to lift up your own prayer before God? Talk to God right there where you're at. There you go. Come on, lift up your voice. Why don't you tell him what you're thankful for today? Come on, when's the last time you thanked him for all the blessings that you have? Come on. Come on, we can count a bunch of things this afternoon. God, we're thankful for our shoes. We're thankful for our clothes. We're thankful for the shirt on our back. God, we're thankful for our family. We're thankful that we got a home to go back to. We're thankful, God. We got more than we deserve, more than we could ever. God, we're thankful. We're thankful for so much. Come on, if you're with your husband or wife, why don't you put a, a hand over their shoulder and begin to pray for them. Begin to thank God for your spouse. If you got kids with you, why don't you grab their hand begin to thank God for them today. Come on, pray a blessing over them and say, God, I'm thankful for my mom and my dad. I'm thankful for my son and my daughter. I'm thankful for my husband. I'm thankful for my wife. Come on, somebody, if you're here by yourself, just thank God for the clothes on your back. Thank God for the oxygen in your lungs. Come on, begin to lift up a prayer of thanksgiving. God, we thank you today for every blessing. We break the power of possessions. We break the power of the enemy over our life. I'm thankful that I got family. I'm thankful that I got people with me. I'm thankful that I got pastors, leaders. I'm thankful, God, I'm blessed. God, break the power of possessions over our life. Thank you, God, we're blessed, we're blessed. Thank you, God. Some of us know we don't deserve to be here today. We should have been in a hospital, in jail, six feet below. But I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm here, God. I'm grateful for that, God. God, I pray that you give your people back peace, joy, love, hope in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come up and lead us in one last prayer of salvation. With every eye closed and every head bowed, we love you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit of God.
Speak to people today on our way home that you remind us stuff to be grateful for. Speak to us, Lord. Open up our hearts and open our eyes to see that you're the God who owns it all and you own us. And that's more than enough. We thank you, Jesus. Hey, really believe that God's presence is here. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're saying, well, Phil, how do I get rid of this, this attitude of just owning things that I need this, I need that. And I really believe Pastor Alex gave us some practical tools and those are going to be helpful. But I think the main thing you need in your life is to surrender it to Jesus. I think we could do all these things, but we're not that strong. We do all these things, but we're not that smart. But if we could give our life to Jesus and say, Jesus, my life is yours. You're, I'm done driving my own life. You, I'm giving you the keys. You take me where you want to go and what you want to do because it's always going to be the best plan. And how do we do that? Well, we got to start back at the story of the gospel. You see, Jesus, he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And there's nothing that we can do on planet Earth. Doesn't matter how much we give to charity. Doesn't matter how good of a human being that you are. Heaven is for those that give their life to Jesus. But a beautiful thing is that Jesus made it easy for us because he did all the work. Literally the story of the gospel is Jesus coming down from heaven to earth, being born as a baby, growing up to be a man. And his whole mission, literally what he was born to do was to die. What a life. What a calling. But he was obedient to the Father's will. And that plan was, there was going to be a day where I'm going to give my life. No one took his life. He gave his life. Jesus was perfect. He didn't make mistakes. He was God in human form. But yet, there had to be a sacrifice. So when the time came, Jesus gave up his life. He was arrested. He was tried illegally. He was beaten. He was, in, he was abandoned. But Jesus had to go through this. And the time came where Jesus was hung up on a cross. His hands, his feet were nailed. A, a crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus didn't do this so you would have a guilt trip over your life. No, Jesus did this because he knew you couldn't pay, you couldn't buy your way to heaven. So Jesus on the cross, he dies. He's buried for three days. But the Bible tells us the good news is that on that third day, he rose from the grave and there's hope for humanity in Jesus. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful. It's the story of the gospel. It's why we do what we do. And I just want to encourage you today. Jesus did all the work did it for you. He loves you. He's so proud of you. He's encouraged by you. He, he wants to change your life, but you got to let him in. You got to surrender your heart. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, this is, we do this as a church for a moment of privacy. We believe this is a holy moment and we don't want there to be any distractions in this moment. But with every eye closed and every head bowed, you're saying, Phil, that's me. I, I'm, I'm tired. I feel anxious because of the possessions in my life and I want to surrender to Jesus. Just a quick disclaimer, giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect. No, doesn't mean that every day is going to be a good day. But what it means is that now when you surrender your life to Jesus, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the gift of Jesus every step of the way. You have salvation for your souls. You have a brand new beginning. You have a brand new start. Your home is in heaven for all eternity. You now are going to have your sin removed, but it starts with surrender. So if that's you, you say, Phil, that's me. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for next week, next month. It's not promised to any of us. Today is your day. Today is your moment. Today is the day your life changes forever. On the count of three, you lift up your hand. One, two, three. You lift it up. Come on, if you want to give your life.
heart to Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Incredible. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the back. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amazing. God bless you. I see you. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Amazing. We're going to celebrate here in a moment. You really just made the best decision of your life, and we're going to celebrate with you. But here's what I want to do. I want to solidify this moment. It's between you and Jesus. I'm going to just lead you in this prayer. And it's a repeat after me prayer in church. Uh, Calvary family, we say this every Sunday. So let's back them up as they, as we say this together. But real quick, for those of you who raise your hand, and maybe you're saying, I didn't raise my hand, but I'm gonna, I need to give my life to Jesus. You say this prayer. Here's what I want you to know, that this prayer isn't a magical prayer, no, but it's a prayer that you are talking to Jesus and he's listening to you. And this is you saying, I'm all in Jesus. I'm ready to change my life. And I just wanna make this prayer easy, this first prayer easy for you. So it goes like this, Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Forgive me of my sins, wash me clean. From this day forward, I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I thank you and I love you. And everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together. Let's celebrate. So many hands went up. Amazing. Incredible. Hey, really believe the best decision you can ever make. A life with Jesus, a life forgiven, a life knowing that one day that when you take your last step here on earth, it's gonna be your first step in eternity. It's incredible, it's reason to celebrate. And I know I could pass this mic around to so many people who have made the same decision you have made, and everybody would agree it's the best decision ever. Now, here's the thing. I know that if you raise your hand, you're probably thinking, okay, what's next? What, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do I do from, from this point on? I'm glad you asked because here at Calvary, we wanna help you, we wanna make that, that process of being a Christian easy for you and the first thing you need the first thing you gotta have is your very own Bible and the good news is we have one for you thank you so much Morgan thank you for the generosity of so many people that we can give thousands of Bibles away every single Sunday every single year and so here's what I want you to do after service if you raise your hand and again you didn't raise your hand but you made that decision you know you made that decision we want to make sure that you get a Bible so after service we got a connect team and they want to give you a Bible if you need prayer they'll pray for you I want you to know that maybe you're intimidated by getting a Bible that connect team is the nice they're the nicest people on planet earth they are nicer than the people that work at Chick-fil-A. I promise you, they're incredible, and they want to help you and serve you. And so get a Bible, read it, let it read your life, and I promise you, you'll never be the same if you get into this word. Amen? Hey, why don't we do something? Um, I love that we talked about this message of possessions. Why don't we think about practically what we can do this week? Maybe some of us, we need to delete some apps on our phone. I know for me, I was challenged to, I gotta delete the Nike app, the Prime app, I gotta delete SockX, I gotta, I got, I gotta delete a lot. Cause I wanna make sure that I never make those things an idol in my life. So why don't you talk to your spouse, talk to your connect group, talk to people and see what we can do as a church to make sure Jesus always is the one that reigns in our hearts, amen? Come on, let's lift up our hands and we're gonna sing one more song, but let's pray for our week. Let's pray that we would get ready for next Sunday, but also be blessed in all that we do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all the work that you've done. Help us, Jesus, to always examine our hearts to make sure there's nothing that is ruling over it. There's nothing that is king over our heart except you, Jesus. So Lord, we praise you and worship you, putting our eyes on you, Jesus. Come on, church.